0: Hey everybody, welcome to the podcast that goes nick, episode 7. I'm going to look at the Wolverine books for October 2012. You know what, I'm going to do a little, uh, little pandering here. Uh, Trying to get you guys motivated to uh, like the Facebook page. So I want to give a shout out to uh, Carlos Pico Montez. Uh, he is a uh, first person... Besides Cameron Sinclair, who's been uh, my best friend since I was five, <laughs> to like the Facebook page. So, uh, Carlos, I hope you're still listening and still enjoying what you hear. Basically, I'm going to say that uh, for everybody else, for the for the next eight people, which will round us out to the first ten, which sounds meager, but you know, let's see if we can get that done. The next eight people, I will also uh, read your names on the, at the beginning of the podcast. Uh, remember, when they come so you guys can help me out, or you can make me look like April and no one can <laughs> sign Either way, my stats show that people are listening, so I'll keep going, and plus I'm just having too much fun. Of course, another good way to get your uh, name read on the podcast is, is to send an email at uh, snipcast at yahoo.com. All right. Well, uh, the theme song ran out, so we're gonna jump right to it. All right, here we go. All right, so we're gonna start off with a uh, double shot of the Wolverine series. We have issues three fourteen and three fifteen. Do the credits real fast. Three fourteen. Colin Bunn is the writer. Paul Pelletier is the penciler. David Micus the inker. Rain Barreto, the colorist, and VCs Corey Pettit, the letterer, with a cover by Mike Del Mundo. 3.15. Um, Is there anything? There's nothing different. It's exactly the same. Even down to the cover art. So, let's uh, start off talking about these two covers. 3.14, we have Wolverine as Indiana Jones. Got some uh, Raiders of the Lost Ark action going on here. Not a bad cover. I will say Wolverine's left hand looks super jank. I have no idea what kind of, like, deformity uh, is trying to portray there, but it's like part of his hand is webbed and the rest of it is, like, horribly arthritic. Other than that, not a bad cover. 315, don't really care for. Um... The Elsa Bloodstone chick looks incredibly disproportionate. I know it's kind of stylized and intentional, but I just don't like it. It's not my personal cup of tea. Now, the cherry blossoms making, like, the branches making kind of a face above the characters. That kind of looks cool. Alright, so we have Colin Bunn, who uh, I will uh, temporarily refer to as the man who ran me off Venom. (laughs) <laughs> that was okay. I needed to uh, I needed to find some books to cut, and I really enjoyed Remender's run on that, and even the run that Remender and Bun co-wrote. I thought was though okay. Well, actually, no, no, that's kind of where I started losing interest. The whole like apparently everybody in Marvel has to spend a, a turn in hell, so we have the whole Venom goes to hell story. I just didn't care about, and the I don't. I don't like Hellstrom or Hellstorm, or whatever his name is. I just don't care for the character. I'm not really super stoked about the writing choices that Bun is making of Venom, so I'm kind of going to cut that from my list, at least for now. Maybe get back, check him back out later, but for now, it's Bun has kind of run me off that. I don't want to come off super negative about the guy, because I did enjoy some of his earlier stuff on Wolverine. In fact, this team of Bun and Pelletier. Pelletier? I'm going to go with Pelletier. I tried to kind of over guess the pronunciation uh, the first time around. We're going to say Paul Pelletier. Anyway, that team is the same team that did the last uh, Dr. Rot story. And I really enjoyed that. And in fact, we started off issue 314 talking about that. So we have this. Issue 314 is Covenant Part 1. No little uh, subtitle. And Issue 315 is Cleverly Covenant Part 2. So we start off kind of leaving off the pieces of where we were before the Sabretooth stuff with the Dr. Rot story with Wolverine kind of missing parts of his memories that Dr. Rot kind of carved out, including Melita. Whatever else I say about these, these two issues... I really enjoy Pelletier's work, particularly on Wolverine. I like the way he draws Wolverine, and I like his art. Looking forward, he's uh, been announced as the regular artist for Aquaman, which has been, for me, kind of the sweeper hit of the New 52. I've been enjoying that book. I don't know if you can really call anything written by Jeff Johns a sleeper, but it surprised me that I was actually enjoying an Aquaman book, and I'm looking forward to uh, seeing Pelletier's take on that. Uh, ought to be pretty good. But anyway, this issue starts off really good. Uh, we're we're talking about the Doctor Rot stuff. We're at the Jean Grey School or the office somewhere. Logan and the leader are talking, and he's and basically he can't like she's been completely completely removed from him, and he's like, let's start at the beginning. Who are you again? And the leader's like, Logan, we've gone over this a dozen times. It's not helping, is it? And Logan kind of, the shadow falls over his face. He basically says he keeps hoping that if she keeps telling him who she is, it'll, like, spark a memory. We have a a clever little thing here, or some cool lines. He says, Logan says, but this isn't like Amnesia. I don't think this is something I can just remember. The memories, they just aren't there. They're gone. Your face, your voice, your scent, they're all new to me. Like I only saw you for the first time a few weeks ago. (laughs) And William's like, well, that's just what everybody wants to hear from their ex. And Logan's like, I know I should remember you, and I wish I could. But Dr. Roth's not going to let that happen. He ripped out pieces of my memory, stitched it back up, or my healing factor stitched it back up with the tissue, but the memories are gone. And then we see a shadow coming in the room, and we get our first snicked. And Logan knows that someone's there. And we have this kind of ghosty apparition girl who is Vanessa somebody. And this is where the story kind of takes a turn. The art stays great. I really like this white silhouette thing that uh, Pelletier and um, the colorist Burrito. (laughs) That's probably not right. I'm not trying to say he's a big Mexican dish. Uh, Burrito. Probably closer, not Burrito. But anyway, his coloring, by the way, is also very good in, the, in both these issues. Uh, the art overall, Pelletier, Macus, or Micus, and Burrito, all very good. The, visually, both these books are very pleasing. But anyway, this is where... We, so we have the the beginning of the book which is talking about the Dr. Rot stuff and a very poignant conversation between Logan and Melita. And that's really interesting and really good. And then we have this covenant stuff, which is kind of crap. Um, I don't, It kind of reminds me of, and I'm a fan. I'm, I'm a a big fan of Claremont's first really super long, super awesome run on Uncanny. Didn't care as much for his stuff he did with Extreme X-Men. I thought, I don't know, like, sometimes I feel like Claremont now is a guy that used to be awesome, is a little bit past his prime, and some of the things that were quirky about his style that used to be really good fall a little bit flatter. And this story, to me, kind of feels like a reject Claremont story. <laughs> I don't know if anybody else feels that way or not. Uh, feel free to, to send an email and say what you think about that. But, anyway, so this this ghost chick shows up from the Covenant, and we get a couple of funny lines. Uh, she says, I'd be astonished if you didn't have a private supply of rare microbrews. L perhaps? <laughs> Yeah, I thought was cool. So that part's still good. We still got some good clever writing and I'm a beer snob, so I appreciated that. But, you know, she basically says that you know, Logan asks her what she wants and she's like, They found her. And then we get a flashback to a place called Marikek. In 1934, we have uh, Indiana Jones, Wolverine, running around and he gets attacked by a bunch of sheiks and belly dancers and little goblins and a bunch of stuff from Sin- the old Sinbad movies. And he fights through it. And again, the art's good. Wolverine finds this chick that was actually like stuck in a harem and he's, he's been sent to assassinate her. But he doesn't do it. And now we come back to present, he's gone to see where, to check on the girl, I guess where he left her, I guess he, instead of assassinating her, he took her off and hit her somewhere, and this, by the way, this chick is called the Dreaming Maiden. So we get another snicked, as Wolverine shows up, and it's Elsa Bloodstone, who is Mr. Bloodstone's daughter. And I'm assuming this is the same Bloodstone from uh, the old Captain America stuff, which is cool. That was uh, some good story stuff back in the day. And we get another cool little page or panel at the bottom of this page here with ninjas and, or not ninjas, uh, kung fu guys and black silhouettes. And Wolverine and Bloodstone and white silhouettes, and it looks cool. That just, again, look very visually compelling. Then Molina's in her apartment, and the Ghost Lady comes back and tries to tell her that Wolverine's gonna need her help. So then, oh my, uh, Wolverine and Elsa are fighting these kung fu guys, and oh wait. These are the Twelve Horrors, Disciples of Murderous Lion. And guess what they do? They study a form of Kung Fu so forbidden, it's said to bring about physical transformations in its practitioners. So they're not human anymore, so Bloodstone and Wolverine don't mind killing them. And they slice their way through these weird-looking Kung Fu creatures. some like dragons, crab claws, insect legs octopussy things. Yeah, you know, whatever. And they get him, and Wolverine says, we gotta go to the Valley of the Gate so we can save the Dreaming Maiden. And boys like, save? Uh-uh. And she blows Wolverine's head off. Which, I guess she's a monster hunter. So, her gun sets Wolverine's face on fire. And that's where we stop that one. So we move to 315, and Logan wakes up. And we have Murderous Lion, who visually looks kind of cool. He's got, like, a another kind of Indiana Jones reference. We move from Raiders of the Lost Ark to Temple of Doom. It looks like he just got out of the little session where the guy goes, dun, 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 or whatever he says, and, like, pulls the heart out. I remember uh, the first time I watched that movie, uh, me and my best friend, Cameron, uh, I had him spend the night at my house, and... We had written that movie on VHS, and I had not seen it before. And I think he can correct me if I'm wrong, but I think Cameron had seen it. I remember we got to that scene, and I don't know if my dad has seen it or just heard about it, but to, to the scene where he, they're, they're ripping out the guy's heart, and my dad fast-forwarded through it, and me and Cameron were super disappointed and bummed out that we didn't, didn't get to see the guy get his heart ripped out. But anyway, this guy looks like he had just finished that. He has, like, a black kind of cavity in his chest, and it looks like a hole, and there's scar tissue around it. It basically looks like someone ripped his heart right out, and he just kept on trucking. So this is Murderer's Line, and him and Wolverine fight, and he has all kind of, like, weird kung fu movie things that he says where, like, you say what you're doing, like old kung fu movies. (laughs) and so he's like blood of 10 shrinking nightmares and that's like his move and he yells it as he does it then he's like night smothering darkness Ah!" and his hair like comes to life and wraps around wolverine and starts suffocating him and we get some really cool art there uh that actually is kind of stupid but it looks cool Uh, especially the scene where it looks like Wolverine's being mummified by all this hair wrapping around him. And the scenes of him getting it off. Look. And we get another snicked. And he cuts his claws kind of into the hair around his head and rips it off and cuts himself while he's doing it. Uh, Let's see. Are there any other things? Yes. Here's one. Gushing mount of forceful torment. And some like radioactive looking stuff shoots out of his Heart hole, and then I think that's about it. Uh, basically, he says, "You know, we know you betrayed us for taking the iron—not Iron Maiden." <laughs> I almost said it. for some reason. I'm thinking Iron Maiden, but it's the Dreaming Maiden. Basically, he says, "We know you betrayed us." Wolverine decides he's gonna stick his claws right in the heart hole. And kind of, it looks like he's kind of digging around in there, and we get like a snick, snick, snack, snick, snick, snack, and he puts the guy down for the count, and they decide they're going to go through one of these gates of the valleys, and we switch over, Melita's doing some research, the ghost girl visits her, they kind of argue, get bitchy with each other, and then we get elsewhere, and Wolverine and Bloodstone have gone through this portal, and they find the Dreaming Maiden as a statue, They're trying to figure out what change, how come they don't want her dead anymore, they want her, Wolverine says, they want her to decorate their garden. We get another snick as some little robot drones show up, and they're fighting them. Wolverine says they're like Deathlocks, only less human murder locks. Again, some compulsory reference to Deathlock, I don't, I feel like, ah, just cramming Deathlock down our throat every time we turn around. Kind of, kind of hoping that goes away in the Marvel Now stuff. But they seem to be doing okay with these steampunk little things. But it takes them down and we're to be continued. I'm not really digging the Covenant. I really like the part at the beginning of 314 with the Dr. Rock carryover stuff. Like I said, that part was really interesting and compelling. The art, these books both look beautiful from front, from cover to cover. Both issues look great. The story's okay, not really digging the Covenant part, I just, I don't like the, the bad guys to make it up right now, just seem kind of lame, and second rate, know I feel like this issue, these issues mean that, uh, this current incarnation of the Wolverine series is going to kind of go out with a whimper, which sucks, but that's what it is. Ah, uh, so grades, 314, because of the beginning segment, and because of the art alone, I will give it two claws. 315, I'm just going to give one claw. Uh, the art probably <laughs> saves it from being zero claws. So I'm not trying to hate on Bun, I do enjoy him as a writer, and, well, sometimes, at least. But this story... The covenant thing's just not doing it for me, so I uh, will see where it goes. Maybe it'll make a comeback, but for right now, that's where I stand. So, three fourteen got two claws, three fifteen got one claw, and uh, we have at least one more issue. I don't know if we have one or two more of this series. Uh, three fifteen ended with a to be continued, and sometimes when it's there's only going to be one more part, it'll say to be concluded. But not always, so I don't know uh, how many parts of this we're going to have to read through and endure. But um, we'll talk more about what's coming in the next Wolverine series when we do whatever the last issue of this one is. Cause they do have some, some things to say about that. So, Alright, well anyway, that's those two, and uh, moving on. Okay, so now we have our segment and the X-Men. And this time we have Wolverine and the X Men number 19. More pencils, more books, more teachers, dirty looks. This is written by Jason Aaron, penciled by Nick Bradshaw, Eat by Walden Wong, colored by Laura Martin, lettered by Chris Eliopoulos, and the cover is by Nick Bradshaw with Guru Effects. And the cover's really nice. It's basically a triptych, I guess you would say, that depicts all of the three main kind of story threads that run this issue. We have a section of Kitty Pride interviewing potential new staff members. Obviously, since the uh, aftermath of AVX, we have a, more new mutants popping up, which is going to lead to more new students. So the school is going to try to expand their staffing needs to match that. So we have... Uh, that's one of the stories is Kitty Pride interviewing potential uh, professors. Then we have Wolverine and Rachel trying to track down the new Hellfire Club to enact some justice for uh, trying to kill Brew. And then we have beast on a brain doing some science stuff and basically that represents beast is uh, has shrunken himself down and gone into Brew's brain to try to clean up the violence that happened there and you know work on a way to getting Brew healed i gotta say uh you yeah, know i talk often about how much i like jason aaron and this is no exception and the art by nick bradshaw is really good this issue too it's, i mean it's always good it's always actually really good. I don't know. This one just seems like he took another little step up. As uh, he's, he's a really detailed artist, lots of little little details which make for some nice little elements of humor and just little I don't know little things you can catch here and there. So we start with the swarm attacking the campus. <laughs> the swarm who uh, has Nazi bees. If I remember right, that's an old Spider-Man villain. Try to think I think that's right. But he gets attacked by Krakoa, the Bats, and Dupe. And they make pretty short order of the swarm. So Kitty Pride is gonna run some interviews and it looks like Deathlock is gonna, I guess, take notes. <laughs> So we have our first candidate is Blade. And a very nice rendition of Blade. Again, lots of details. He has stakes. Like wooden stakes. Not well done stakes. His sword, a crossbow with an axe on it. He's got a chest or something. Basically says he wants to make all the kids vampire hunters. Dupe has a uh, a crash chest dummy that has uh, axes in it and stakes through the heart. Then we switch over. Uh, some of the students have been sent to deep space the moon of what was once Andromeda 9. And this is, I guess, one of the planets that was destroyed by the Phoenix on its path to Earth. So Iceman has brought some of the students up here to do some relief work, which is cool. It's a nice little aspect of a realism, something a school might do, but then obviously set in the crazy X-Men universe. You know, instead of a school in Louisiana going to help hurricane victims, you have... The X-Men school going out to deep space to help a planet that was destroyed by the Phoenix. So it's equal parts realism and equal parts super X-Men fantasy. So that's cool. You have Quentin Quire and Kid Apocalypse handing out food. Idy's still kind of going through her rough patch. I'm even rougher now because Brew is in the condition he's in. And then we kind of switch over to that. Beast is inside Brew. He's cleaning out the fragments of the bullet. And he pops out, and he gets on a video conference with Mr. Fantastic, Tony Stark, and Peter Parker, who is wearing a bow tie, which is awesome. Uh, basically, they kind of run over some of the options. B he says he's tried them all. And he says he has one person that he's reluctant to ask for his assistance. I'm not quite sure who he's referring to. He might mean that dude that came and attacked the school, and the the alien what was he, a collector he confronted Brew you know a few issues ago. So he might be referring to that. I'm not sure. And then we have Wolverine and Rachel in Salem City proper on the trail of the Hellfire Club. And <laughs> it's funny Wolverine's in costume sniff in the ground and the the patrons of the sidewalk cafe use that like oh my word, good heavens and then Wolverine gets a trail. Then we have, I guess, uh, Hellstrom applying for the job. And then Sasquatch and Puck. <laughs> it's funny. They say their main uh, reason for being hired is the fact that they're Canadian. And then you have Dupe in the background in his shirt that's like, hey? Eh? And I guess Dupe, or no, Puck, brought a container of maple syrup being held by a plastic beaver. <laughs> so, the Canadian qualification, I, you know, being old teammates in Wolverine doesn't quite cut it. Then we have Longshot, who wants to teach theater because he was a celebrity in the mojo verse. Then Dr. Nemesis, who you would have thought already knew about this, but apparently he's come in just to check it out. Then you have Toad and Paige talking, and Paige looks like a hot mess. She is falling apart she's basically telling toad that she really values the time they've had but she's got to go figure out what she's going to do and then she'll come back and find toad after she figures that out toad gets mad he's cleaning up and he knocks down a picture of wolverine (laughs) you have a nice little like the frame is broken and it falls on the floor and you got a nice little spit rolling down the forehead of the photo so he i guess used his tongue to knock the picture over then Matt Murdock helps Angel get back the company. And there's a Angel bobblehead on the desk. And Angel decides he's going to let the AP Economics class... <laughs> econ! Econ! Uh, take over the company. Because he has other stuff he wants to do. Uh, we get an introduction to two new mutants. We have Ji Jing. I think it's how you say that. From China. She's basically like a reptile, dragonfly, fairy type character. And then we have Eye Boy, who is covered in eyes. Then we get a shot of an empty seat where Kid Gladiator has carved in the back of the chair "Tribble" for Kid Gladiator was here. Then we get some more uh, candidates. We have Gorilla Man from that Atlas book. Ghost Rider, Deadpool, Werewolf by Night, Jack Russell, Firestar, who kind of we get a throwback to the old Spider Man and His Amazing Friends cartoon, where Firestar's like, I used to have a thing for Iceman. We have a real teacher, Jennifer Sloan, who's like, Are you guys really qualified to have a school? Then Chamber, who already works here. And then Deadpool is begging. He says, all I've ever wanted in life is a little bit of tenure. Then we have the Hellfire Club. They've set up a little campground outside of the school in the forest. Talking about how they've sent Wolverine on a wild goose chase. And they've left a surprise at the end of the fake trail. Wolverine. We see Wolverine finding it. And it has a bunch of open graves dug. With headstones with a bunch in the name of the students on it. And basically kind of saying, we're going to kill all your students and bury them out here by the outside the school in the forest. Then we go back to Deadpool. Uh, Fat Cobra. Longshot makes another appeal. And then we have Spider-Man who pops in. And like, ah, I just had to see this for myself. Can you show me where Wolverine sits when he's grading pictures? And he's taking, uh, taking some photographs. I'm sorry. I saw the camera and thought pictures where he sits when he's grading papers and he's taking pictures of it. And then, Kitty Pride pointing, you're hired. We see Storm's arm. She's like, are you sure I'm qualified? She's like, oh, don't make me beg. And so Storm's going to be the new staff member. And then we get an elsewhere segue for what's going to happen next. And Frankenstein and his circus are coming back to town. I know that's, like, a retro kind of story. I know that there's an old Frankenstein circus way back in comics somewhere. I don't remember exactly where it's from. Is that a uh, X-Men thing? I think maybe back in the Claremont days. That's, that's what I seem to remember. That Frankenstein had a circus back in the, in the early in the Claremont run, but I'm not hundred percent sure about that. I would have to Google it and I forgot. I don't want to stop to do it now. A couple of funny letters. We had a guy talking about issue seventeen, and his daughter was reading it with him, and she described Dupe this way: "Look at the big green pickle. He's an angry pickle. What a big mouth!" She <laughs> thought was funny. Kind of a twisted Veggie Tales. And then we have a guy mentions in a letter talking about he's glad to see Rachel spotlighted. And then he asked about a theory about Wolverine being her real father. Is, and you guys need to help me out. Uh, send in an email, comment on the Facebook page, or comment on the episode something. Is this a real thing? Has this been a theory before? That uh, in this alternate future that maybe Wolverine and Jean Grey had a son? Or, I'm sorry, a daughter. And that daughter is Rachel. Is this something that has been hinted at explored before, or this guy is pulling it out of his butt. I'm not sure, so if anybody could uh, provide any insight to that, it would be appreciated. Anyway, I thought this book was really enjoyable. Um, I've decided that this book, you know, talking about the Frankenstein possibly being from the Claremont era, this book is, is very different, so I'm not saying it's the same, but the good qualities of this book remind me of the heyday of the Claremont run. And that lots of different little sub-stories. Lots of dialogue. It actually takes some time to read this book. Which is nice. It little change of pace. For a, a lot of comics you can read in kind of 5 minutes. This actually took me like 15-20 minutes to read. That was enjoyable. But yeah. So it kind of reminds me. In some ways. of Of some of the best of the X-Men books. When I was growing up. And... I'm also, I'm glad to hear that in Marvel Now, this is, I think it kind of hasn't been by default anyway, as far as readership and storyline. But if it was unofficially one of the flagship X-Men books, it is now going to officially, in Marvel Now, going to be one of the flagship X-Men books with uh, the all-new X-Men by have so I'm stoked that this book has kind of been officially elevated up to that status because it's definitely been the best X-Men book for a while and so I'm glad to see it get kind of what it deserves so all that said I'm going to give Wolverine and the X-Men number 19 three claws alright we'll move it on alright so now we have Astonishing X-Men number 55 Written by Marjorie Liu, art by Mike Perkins, colored by Dave, sorry, by J. David Ramos, lettered by V.C.'s Corey Pettit, and the cover is by Phil Noto. The cover is pretty cool. It's a nice concept, and I made it known that I appreciate Phil Noto's art. And basically we have a gun with an ammo belt loading into it. And there's bullets, and then between the bullets are the X-Men. And of course, Wolverine will be the first X-Men bullet, which is appropriate. We also have Iceman, Gambit, North Star, and Warbird. All between the bullets. It's a very cool-looking cover. I dig it. So as far as what's been going on in this book, Karma's sister has affected all the X-Men with nanobites, And all of them, except for Wolverine have been sent by her to Madripoor so she can use them as a show of power so she can sell this technology to terrorists super villains whatnot because hey if she can control the x-men then she can control anybody so you should buy her stuff makes sense uh, we've talked about the different kind of implications of that before and uh i won't go too much into that now but uh Basically, we catch up where they're in Madripoor. The X-Men are arguing about whether they're going to do this or try to fight back. And Northstar, last we saw, Northstar pushed Iceman into a lava bucket. (laughs) For lack of a better term. I gotta say, um, I feel like Mike Perkins gets better every issue. I feel like he's kind of really hitting his stride. Uh, I feel like I don't know, his art is just, it's getting, it started off okay, and you know, if you remember the first time I talked about this issue, or this book on this podcast, you know that I thought Perkins was kind of serviceable, but I feel like he's getting a little bit better every issue, and and this issue, I feel like the art, and the last one too, but especially this one even more so, really coming into his own and really... I love the art of this book. It was pretty fantastic. So yeah, kudos to Mike Perkins for really uh, stepping his game up every time. I hope he continues to do that. Look forward to uh, seeing him around. Though I don't think he's gonna stay on this book much longer. I think uh, who I crap. I can't remember who I read is gonna be doing it. Oh, it's uh... can't think of his name, but he just did. The cable and X-Force little, little tiny segment in the Marvel Now 0.1 issue. That was pretty good, but I am going to miss Perkins and kind of maybe try to see where, what he's doing next. And maybe check that out too. So we start off with a very beautifully drawn flashback of Karma and her dad back in Vietnam. And a little backstory that I just don't care about. You know <laughs> props to marjorie Lou i like I said I'd liked her stuff before, and I wasn't sure about what she'd been doing on this book, and I do feel like she has kind of come into her stride on this book. I just don't care about karma, and I get it, Marjorie Lou. I get it. every writer when they take a team book and all of them do this. They pick one really lame character that they're going to try to make really important and really cool, and there've been in history of comics various degrees of success for that. I just don't. Whatever's going on here, I just I'm not buying that. Karma's this really awesome integral character. Uh, maybe you are. I know if, uh, if you're an old school New Mutants fan, which I'm not so much. I know it's supposed to be, but I just don't really care. Um, Then maybe you have a history with this character that you're excited about what's going on. Um, Or maybe you have no history either way with the character and you're excited about what's going on. You can email and disagree with me, but I'm just... The sooner karma's out of this book to me, the better. Anyway, we have a flashback. Basically, her dad kills her mom... And sells her to a sweatshop. Then we get a report. that To Karma's sister. At her little base. Where she's kind of nano checking in on everybody. We get a report. That Iceman is dead. The X-Men are fighting amongst themselves. Because they're mad at Northstar. For pushing him into the vat. So Warburg gets pissed. But then. Karma's sister says. The X-Men are taking too long. at Taking over Madripoor. She wants them to speed things up. Then the boats and the docks and stuff kind of blow up around the island so nobody can get on or off the island. Oh, and the airport also blows up. So we have Tiger, Tiger Lady, who is kind of head of the police force in poor. And her and Gambit fight, and Gambit taps Morse Code on one of the exploding cards, somehow. And then we get one of my favorite parts of the book. Tiger, Tiger's like, damn it, Gambit. And we have an off-panel. You sound like me. And she turns around and she's like, Really, Logan? After all these years, you're still wearing the suit and eye patch? You realize, don't you, that everybody knows exactly who you are. And Wolverine's just kind of leaning against the wall and he's like, I dress like dressing up. <laughs> I love this page or that scene. So basically, she reveals to Wolverine, the, or to Patch. The Gambit says something about Morse Code that, like, basically kind of trying to say we're not... we're doing this against our will. But she kind of doesn't care because it's still destroying her city. So then we have fake X-Men that show up. They're just humans augmented with technology in the old... or what looks kind of like the old blue and gold uniform. We have a guy who's really strong, a girl who's on fire, a guy with a whip... (laughs) A guy with a machine gun and a guy with four metal claws and a fake Wolverine helmet. So, Gambit says he's super offended. But, uh uh-oh, the X-Men have lost their powers due to the nanotechs and nanobites inside of them. So, Gambit says we just have to do it the old-fashioned way. We get a nice, cool fight. Even Cecilia Reyes gets a good punch in. And well and behold, the news people are reporting that the X-Men are destroying Madripoor. There's an old gnarly hand reaching for a gun that's watching the news. Get a nice page of the X-Men standing on top of the fake X-Men piled up. They've won. And, but then they get arrested... But, oh, it's not the police. It's some gangsters posing as police. Or, no, actually, they crash the police van and take the X-Men. And they take them to... (gasps) Karma's dad on the oxygen tank. And they meet when Karma's sister sees it. And she shoots a rocket launcher into the building. Blows everybody up. And to be continued. I gotta say, the art for the cover of next issue has me intrigued. Is Iceman throwing some Gambit cards. So, interesting to see what that means. Um, Alright, so this issue's not bad. Um, carries the story along. Still looking to see if Sabretooth pops up, because as he's supposedly the crime boss of Madri- Madripoor. But maybe this is before that, I don't know. I probably not. I don't think so. But maybe that's how they're now they're writing it. Uh, anyway, so looking to see if he does or doesn't make an appearance. But the issue is pretty good. Uh, like I said, the art really good. Story not bad, even with the karma crap. I'm gonna give it two claws. Good, pretty. I don't even say it's it's very good, but not super awesome just yet. But uh, digging this book where it's going, the direction. I feel like it's definitely kind of coming to its own. Just in time to change creative teams. <laughs> the loose lose staying on it. Uh, there's change in changing the art. But uh, anyway, yeah. Uh, pretty good book. Uh, two Claws for Astonishing X-Men number 55. Alright, moving on. Okay, so now we have Uncanny X-Force number 32. This is written by Rick Remender, art by Phil Noto, color by Frank Martin Jr. and Rochelle Rosenberg. The cover is by Jerome Pena and Dean White. Letters are by VCs Corey Pettit. And this is uh, Final Execution Chapter 8, Opposite of Progress. This cover, as uh, we continue our uh, year of Sabretooth, is awesome. It's fantastic, my opinion. Um, it's Wolverine and Sabretooth just going at it. Cutting each other up, blood flying. <laughs> it's just, it's a great cover. It's really, really awesome. The color's really nice. You got like, kind of this red, yellow, orange uh, color scheme going on, and the whole thing just looks really good. It's, it's a really good cover. Quite nice. So basically, we start off with uh, Dawkins, kind of James Bond villain, uh, looking over, rechecking his trap that they're setting, and uh, kind of going over his motivation on why he is trying to get back at Wolverine, and basically ends up saying that he'll do anything to earn his father's respect. Even destroy him. Then we switch to Wolverine and Psylocke swimming into the base where the bad guys have Evan. And we get mentioned that they're using telepathic worms to protect the team from the Shadow King. When Wolverine admits in his internal dialogue that he's glad they're there so we can also hide his thoughts from Psylocke. Basically kind of saying, you know, we're going to do whatever we have to do to get this taken care of or that means killing evan then that's what it means but either way they're leaving with him then we switch over to deadpool and we had ended the last issue with deadpool coming on evan or coming upon evan (laughs) not coming on to him coming upon evan and we kind of left last issue with the impression that deadpool was there to like finish the job that they had started when they tried when they killed the other Uh, Apocalypse clone. But it turns out he's there to save him and try to help him escape. And Evan's not real sure he believes that. You know, kind of talks about how he was tricked by Phantom X. And he has trouble trusting X-Force, but Deadpool's like, I'm not going to kill you. And there's a couple of funny lines in there. And then... While they're trying to get away, Deadpool gets some Omega cancer and Devin, er, I'm sorry, Devin. Ed, <laughs> Devin and Edpool, that's not right. Deadpool tries to start fighting the Brotherhood, but then Evan betrays him by zapping him with an eye blast. He feels like he can't trust X-Force, so he's just going to kind of stay put. Can't really tell, like, if he's being manipulated by the Shadow King or not. He's definitely being uh, encouraged or pushed by the Shadow King, but it's not really evident whether the Shadow King is completely in control of Evan or just kind of giving him that little nudge as to his his already present feelings of distrust. Then we get a scene between Mystique and Age of Apocalypse Nightcrawler, kind of talking about, you know, Mystique is glad she can see her son, even though it's not really her son. And Nightcrawler talks about how this mystique is nothing like his mom. The mystique kind of tries to get under his skin by saying, you know, Weapon X in your timeline was a very bad dude. And really this Wolverine is not that much different. He'll kind of kill whoever he wants and does whatever he wants to uh, pursue his own ends. And, you know, he's kind of just as much... A bad idea as the Weapon X in Age of Apocalypse. Then we have Wolverine dropping in. He picks a fight with Sabretooth. And he kind of lets Sabretooth get to him first. To uh, enrage his Berserker. And then he starts mowing through the Brotherhood. And it's actually pretty cool. Some pretty cool scenes there. Psylocke sneaks in. She has a mental battle with the Shadow King. Which she kind of looks to be losing. Then Nightcrawler teleports in with Ava. And Ava stabs Wolverine. And it turns out she's just Mystique, and she's using the same, like, healing factor, slow down poison that she used that allowed her to kill Phantom X. And so we end up where we're betrayed by Nightcrawler, and that's where the issue ends. So, um, really good issue. Uh, story keeps kind of moving along. It's a really nice story, keeping kind of the suspense Reminder does some great characterization in this issue. Um, We get really good insight into a lot of people's motivations. Uh, We start off with Dawkins' motivation. About how, yeah, he's bad, but really he just wants his father's respect. And if the only way to get that is to destroy him and kill him, then, you know, so be it. You know, we have... More insight into Psylocke's motivation that she's kind of getting tired of the X-Force protocols and that, you know, she's kind of moving further and further away from the uh, the mentality of this X-Force team. And we have, you know, a lot of insight into Wolverine about how he is still going to do whatever it takes to get this done. You know, he doesn't want to kill Evan. Even later in the book, he says that he can count on Evan, that he's too strong to turn. But at the same time, he is prepared and ready to kill him if he goes bad. Uh, we get a lot of insight into Deadpool, um, about how as crazy as he is and as much as he's kind of dependent or even addicted to killing that in his mind, he's always had a rationale. Even if he knows his crazy Deadpool rationale, he still has it. And he says, that well, the only time he never felt at peace about killing somebody was the first time they killed the Apocalypse clone. And he really wanted to atone for that. Which is cool. Kind of a, a softer side to Deadpool, if you will, that we don't see very often. But it's good to see here. You know, we get some a lot of insight into Mystique and Wolverine. I'm sorry, uh, Mystique and Nightcrawler. And... Kind of the relationship here. That's not a real, rela- a real relationship. But based on counterparts. And different parallel timelines. And parallel universes. But the interaction still is kind of like. One of helping each other. Steve kind of says. If you go along and do what we need to do. You can have your revenge on the person that killed your wife. And Nightcrawler. We learn at the end. That the reason he betrays Wolverine. It's because Mystique is going to serve up Blob. Or at least she convinces Nightcrawler that she's going to serve up Blob. And that to him is more important than X-Force or the mission. So we get a lot of insight into both of them. We get more insight into Evan and kind of his inner conflict. He really wants to be good. But he really does feel really betrayed by X-Force and by Phantom X. That... You know, he was just, he was lied to and he feels manipulated. And we kind of see where he could make that switch over. I think it's cool the way Wolverine kind of wants to go berserk so he can mow these Brotherhood fools down and kind of let Sabretooth get in the first few blows. But then he says, They forgot who I am. Not the guy you want for an enemy. I remind him one at a time. You know, he talks about... (laughs) There's a really cool part where he's fighting the skinless man. He says, you killed a friend of mine. Hell of a gamble. Comes with a hell of a price. And the skinless man's like, Phantom X? Your friend? What a laugh! And Wolverine's like, go on then! Shook! And just stabs him right in the gut and says, a laugh. I just... It's really cool. The fights are really cool. Yeah... You know, in, in the last issue of Wolverine from the last episode, we had Romulus stab Wolverine through the face. And in this one, we get kind of a similar scene where Wolverine stabs Sabretooth right through the face. And, I don't know, we just get a lot of really good looking into the characters. Um, the art and coloring, as has been this whole little run, is pretty awesome, pretty nice. Uh, like I said, I like the way Phil Noto draws Kid Apocalypse, especially. Really like that. Mentioned that before, I think. And the Deadpool with all his little tumors. Like I don't know. I it just it's good art. Really good art. And then next, we have the next cover is Nightcrawler with blood all over him and two swords. And so. There's probably going to be some kind of uh, ramification to what he's just done here by trying to help them kill Wolverine. Which? Yeah, I've kind of been okay with this Nightcrawler because, well, our is dead, and I guess having this one's better than nothing, but I've never really liked the character as much. And... I gotta say why I did while I did not see this ending coming right now at all, I I, I was surprised but I wasn't surprised. I, I was pleasantly surprised at the twist in the story because I, mean, I didn't see him betraying Wolverine at this point, at this juncture, and I like when I can't predict a story, like that's exciting to me, so in that aspect I was surprised. But I'm not surprised like in a, in and uh, it's out of character kind of way because I knew kind of the glove would probably or the shoe would probably drop at some point. And I think we are seeing Age of Apocalypse, Nightcrawler's true colors. That he's not the same type of hero that our Nightcrawler was. That he is more selfish and I, don't know, I guess selfish is really the right word than our Nightcrawler. And we kind of see that. And so it was a surprise, but it wasn't a surprise. But it was it was a great ending to this chapter of the story. Uh, overall, I'm, I'm going to give this book three claws. And what I got to say, talking about X Force, I mentioned last time some little theories, I was I was close on one um, in the new Cable and X Force book, which I'm really looking forward to. It's going to start start in the Marvel now uh colossus is not leading the team as i kind of theorized and hoped for i knew that was a shot in the dark i knew it was quite a uh, quite a long shot that colossus would actually lead the team but i still thought it'd be cool but he is going to be on the team with cable and this team is going to be a very outlawed x-force uh all these guys that are on the run from kind of the establishment of the new x-men and avengers after avx cable obviously from his uh, actions in x-sanction where he kind of attacked the avengers is on the run and from the end of avx we know that all the phoenix 5 or the remaining four of the phoenix 5 that weren't captured are very much wanted for their crimes so we have colossus on the run and the guy whose name is escaping me right this moment, uh, Hopeless, who's uh, which I think is an awesome name for a comic writer, by the way. But Hopeless, who's uh, writing the book, you know, kind of hinted at a lot of what I was getting at, and that you know, Colossus is very much a man who feels regret about the things he's done in his recent past, and that he's very introspective about it. So I'm excited about that and the other people in the book are cool too. Uh, we have um, Forge and Domino and Dr. Nemesis and that's kind of the initial lineup in that book. So it looks really cool and then Marvel now Uncanny X-Force, this book which I don't know if it'll start with a new number one or keep going but it's going to be led by Psylocke so that should be interesting. It'll probably be going in a different direction. Definitely, I would say, with Psylocke at the helm. So that should be interesting. i will looking forward to both of those books. I don't know if they'll uh, continue to be on this podcast in Marvel now. Because I know Wolverine's not going to be on the cable team. Though apparently the first arc really involves the Uncanny Avengers. So I may still cover them as Wolverine will still maybe show up in the first part of the book. And I don't know. I haven't really heard anything yet about the roster of the new Uncanny X-Force. So I don't know if Wolverine will be in that or not. But uh, we'll see and uh, talk about them accordingly. So anyway, Uncanny X-Force 32, Three Claws. A very satisfying chapter as we... uh, It's said to be continued, not to be concluded. So I don't know how many parts are left, but I know we're getting pretty close to the end because there can't be that many issues left before we get the uh, new team on the book. So anyway, a very satisfying, very compelling chapter in this saga that is the uh, final execution. So three claws. All right, here we go. So now it's time for our segment where's Logan well this month he's in Punisher Warzone number one that's where he is we have writer Greg Rucka art by Carmine Di, Jan Domenico I have no idea if that's right or not <laughs> I hope so uh, colored by Matt Hollingsworth lettered by VCs Joe Caramagna the cover is by Marco Cicchetto, which it's too bad he didn't do the whole book. kind of wish he would have. Um, Carmine. <laughs> just, I don't know if I'm saying either of their names right, so I'm just going to go with first names. Carmine's art on the interiors here is is decent, but not really to my liking. Uh... There's probably a way to describe this style, but I don't really know what it is. Uh, it reminds me, and I don't remember if this guy did anything on that stuff or not, but it kind of reminds me of some of the art from some of the books for the Marvel Noir. And I don't, I just, I don't know how to describe it. It's kind of, or like that, uh, The Magneto book. Oh, what was it called? Uh, the one that kind of retold uh, a couple years ago his concentration camp story. But anyway, whatever that this style is, this guy has it, and I guess in that style he's not bad. It's just not my favorite style of art. Whereas Marco C, <laughs> I haven't read much Punisher lately. Uh, I flipped through a little bit the last series and. I thought his art looked really good. And I did see his art. The only Punisher I've read in the last year or so is that crossover a few months back. I guess. and Maybe longer than that. I can't remember. It doesn't feel that long ago. With uh, Punisher, Spider-Man, and Daredevil. I thought his art in that was fantastic. I thought he represented all three characters amazingly well and I was looking I had actually misread and thought he was doing this book and was was looking forward to him doing this book but alas he doesn't but he does do the cover it's a really nice cover we have the Punisher Warzone logo from the original Punisher Warzone series which back when that came out it was the third Punisher book uh, fourth if you count Armory which wasn't really as much of a book is just a Punisher encyclopedia. It was still cool. That's back when Punisher was the shiznit. It it was Punisher and Wolverine and that was Marvel. (laughs) Kind of in the early 90s. And back at that time I was a big Punisher fan. You know, Punisher was the second book I started collecting after G.I. Joe. Actually, Punisher War Journal i bought before i bought the actual punisher series but when punisher warzone first came out in the 90s i was on the ground floor and bought that book for a while until i kind of got out of collecting for a little while uh other things came up in high school that i was doing besides my comic books so there's a lot of stuff i missed some of it totally glad i missed uh You know, the Spider-Man Clone Saga being among those things that I'm just a okay with not having any part of. Uh, You know, some of it I've tried to go back and fill in holes in some stuff. And I've enjoyed reading it. Anyway, Punisher Warzone has some fond nostalgia. And this book's pretty good. But, having not read much of The Punisher lately... We kind of start off here with a story that I'm not super familiar with. But from what I can gather, and Rucket does do a good job with his exposition of kind of letting you in on what's going on. So basically, the Punisher did something and a cop was killed. And from what I understood, thumbing through the last issue of the last Punisher series, Punisher didn't kill the cop, but... This, this girl that's kind of been his sidekick did and Punisher's taking the heat for it because he feels responsible or just feels like, hell, I'm taking the heat for so much stuff and I'm so disrespected or wanted or whatever. It doesn't matter if I take the heat for this or not. And because I, if I understand right from, again, just thumbing through that last issue, if I understand right. The cop was crooked, and the girl didn't even know he was a cop. Or maybe he was undercover. Maybe he was an okay cop, he was undercover. And the Punisher apprentice didn't know it was a cop when she shot him. Or something like that. But basically, we start off with Spider-Man. He flips his web and pulls up a newspaper. And... Apparently, the newspaper says an article that Punisher went on this rampage and he used, sorry, utilizing an unknown device to swing between buildings. And Spider-Man's like, right. And apparently, Punisher had stolen a web shooter or gotten a hold of a web shooter and used that. So, Punisher's wanted by the cops, obviously. And Spider-Man flips him to his van I don't know why the Punisher has an eye patch. I don't know what's going on with that. He had it in the last story I read, with the Daredevil thing and Spider-Man, but I didn't know in that story why he had the eye patch either. Maybe he's getting ready for Halloween. He's gonna go as a pirate. I don't know. But anyway, we get really good banter between Punisher and Spider-Man. Uh, I'm not aware of Rucka having a lot of experience writing Spider-Man, but he does it well. Pretty impressed with kind of some of the, the sarcasm and the one-liners and kind of Spider-Man's attitude. Comes off very true to the character. But, Spider-Man and Punisher kind of argue and fight and banter. But, Punisher somehow gets the best of him. Uh, Spider-Man basically telling the Punisher that he has to quit. The Punisher's like, no, I'll quit when I'm dead. And... Just when it looks like Spider-Man is one. Punisher throws some kind of concussive grenade, Spider-Man's head is ringing, and Punisher takes him down. Not Punisher style. He doesn't kill him. <laughs> but he, he takes him down and takes his glove. Then Spider-Man calls the Avengers together, so we go to Avengers Tower. We have Tony Stark dressed up for a night on the town, Wolverine in a white t-shirt and jeans with coffee, Thor in his complete uniform, and helmet, Captain America in the street clothes, and Black Widow. And basically, Spider-Man throws a newspaper into the table and says, it's time to take care of the Punisher. He's gone on long enough. Everyone kind of treats it lightly. Tony starts like, what? I can go back to my Bruce Springsteen concert. But Spider-Man's like, he webs up the door and like, hey, I make the jokes around here and this isn't one of them. The man's a mass murderer. And this whole time we kind of get scenes of Wolverine just drinking his coffee. And the Black Widow reads the newspaper she's like, is this accurate? I was under the impression he doesn't kill cops. And we had a reference to that during the Spider-Man banner where he says, normally you give cops a pass and maybe you did. I don't know if you killed him or not. So there's doubt on that, because apparently the Punisher, and I remember that back in the old days, he doesn't, he tries to only kill people that deserve it, and doesn't go after New York's finest. But, you know, Tony Stark is like, this is Bush League stuff. Is the Punisher a very bad man? Sure. But basically saying, you know, "You you want us to spend our Avenger time On one man who doesn't even have superpowers. But Captain America sticks up for Spider-Man. Basically says, if we let this guy keep going, then we're condoning it. And we don't want to do that. But he agrees with Tony Stark that sending all the Avengers after him would be overkill. So he decides he's going to send Black Widow after him. And Spider-Man says, I'm going with him. But Captain America actually makes a very judicious statement. Says better if you don't. I think you're a little too invested in this. And they decide, you know, they can't just send him to prison because he just has a lot of a lot of criminals to kill in prison. So Tony Stark says he'll work on something special to keep him. And everybody leaves. Spider Man says, thanks for cap to Cap for getting his back. And we have our real first kind of Logan conversation. And Cap's like, Logan, you got a problem with this? Wolverine puts the coffee cup on the table, starts to walk off, looks back, and we get Rucka riding Wolverine very well uh, in character. He says, difference between you and me, maybe. You believe in the best, Captain. Me, I believe some people deserve to die. And we know Punisher and Wolverine have some history. And probably Wolverine doesn't see much wrong with what Punisher's doing. Maybe thinks he crosses the line every now and then, but Logan knows that he himself also crosses the line every now and then. So he decides to pay the Punisher a visit in one of his Long Island safe houses. He basically comes to warn the Punisher that he's kind of crossed the line. And he says, uh, Wolverine says, you killed those cops? Punisher says, no. Wolverine's like, that's what I thought. But you push too hard, Frank. The Avengers are coming for you. And he says, they'll lock you up someplace alone, someplace isolated. that They won't know what else to do with you, and it'll kill you. And basically, I think he's basically trying to tell Punisher, hey, lay low for a while, get lost, go hide out somewhere far away. And there's a line earlier in the book where the cops are saying, there's no way Punisher stayed in New York. He's off like in South America or Mexico or something. And I think Wolverine is basically telling Punisher, even though he's not privy to that conversation. He's basically telling Punisher that's what you should do. So Punisher drives off, the building blows up, and that's it. But we know that's not what he's going to do, and based on what this story is theoretically about, and we get the next three covers on the bottom of the back page, looks like he's going to take the fight to the Avengers, so that could be pretty cool. You know, back to the cover, we have the Punisher Warzone in the middle with a red silhouette of the Punisher. We have Iron Man's helmet with two bullet holes, which gives new meaning to armor-piercing bullets. We have Thor's hammer on the ground, cap shield with blood on it. It's like Wolverine's on fire. And Spider-Man with a machine gun to his face. So Punisher's coming after the Avengers. He takes Wolverine's Warning, and basically tells him to shove it where the sun don't shine because I'm not backing off from nothing. And that's kind of what you would expect from the Punisher. Well, maybe. Or maybe you would expect him to be like, no, the Avengers are good guys. They're on the right side. Maybe I should just kind of get out of the way. But we'll see next issue how that plays out and his reasoning for that. I got to say, I'm looking forward to it. Art wasn't my favorite, but the story was great. I know Ruck has done a lot of work on The Punisher before, so definitely has a handle on that, but I felt like he had a good handle on everybody else, too, including all the Avengers characters, and most importantly, in a Wolverine podcast, I thought he had a good handle on Wolverine. I know he's written Wolverine before, so that's not a big surprise, but... Ah. Book flowed real well. I'm definitely interested in seeing what happens next, so I'm going to give this book Three Claws... The Punisher Warzone, number one of five. Ooh. With a parental advisory. Anyway, three claws for Punisher Warzone, number one. So, also, this month, we have Wolverine popping up in Avengers number 32. You know, since the Avengers relaunches with new Avengers and then Avengers and all that, Wolverine has been on the Avengers roster. He hasn't really been in the book uh, since all the Avengers vs. X-Men stuff started. But he's kind of back in Avengers 32, barely. So uh, we have Brian Michael Bendis writing it. The art is by Mike Mayhew and Brandon Peterson. And the cover is a very cool cover of Captain America by Brandon Peterson. I always enjoy his art. The Mike Mayhew stuff, not so much. Wasn't that good. Um, Anyway, I actually read this in the comic shop. So, oopsie. I just kind of skimmed it. I didn't sit there and read the whole book. That would be unethical. But I'm kind of uh, letting this last little Avengers story arc go. Um, I really enjoyed the Bendis run uh Have pretty much most of the issues. I know this is kind of his swan song on it because he's not gonna—he's gonna be doing the X Men book in the Marvel now, and is we wrapping up his Avenger story. But it's the return of the Wasp, who I don't really like. It's in the Microverse, which I don't really like. So I'm kind of uh, gonna let this one go. But I did flip through it and read the one or two pages of Wolverine in it. Uh, basically, through most of the book, he's just kind of in the background running around with the Avengers. He's one of the many guys on the squad that are running around doing things. So he doesn't really say anything. So basically, there's, basically, the Avengers get a distress signal from the Microverse, and they're, they're going to go in there. We get we get a nice uh, Wolverine Spider-Man barb. Uh, uh, well, Iron Man actually says, if this goes wrong, we're just going to blame it all on Wolverine, which is funny, because... He would be kind of the the scapegoat as the uh avenger who has the most ill repute, but spider man's like the teacher kind of making a barb at him teaching it you know opening reopening the school. Wolverine's like, "You're never gonna let me live that down and Spider man's like nope, and basically uh the Avengers take a team into this portal into the microverse. And Wolverine is left as one of the couple of people that are supposed to stand guard over the portal until they get back. And that's basically his involvement is to be a face in the crowd, have a little witty banner with Spider-Man, which was good, and to stand there and guard a hole in the ground until the Avengers pop back out of it. Uh, so I'm going to give this... Avengers 32 a rating of bone claws without the adamantium just bone claws because I didn't actually read it. I only read like a page <laughs> That doesn't really constitute me having much to say on it. So Avengers 32 gets bone claws all right well, anyway, that is uh, For this month that is where's Logan Alright, now it's time for our AVX update. Woo! Oh, wait. No, that can't be right. AVX is over. So what we have here is our A plus X update. We have A plus X number one. Well, I gather this book is just going to kind of be a little a five issue team up book with Avengers plus X-Men. On the cover here, we have a Dale Keown cover, or at least I did. There's some variants out there as well. I we have a Dale Keown cover with uh, Wolverine and Hulk. Or Hulk looks awesome, and Wolverine looks kind of strange. And we have a little circles above, highlighting Captain America and Cable. Then we get a little title page, the jokes about the book, uh, with a little Q&A. You know, kind of in the Avengers Versus X Men versus style. and uh, kind of basically tells you not to worry about continuity again, and these are just going to be stories. When we take, let's see, there's one cool line here. It says, This is A plus X, the comic where we add one Avenger plus one X Men and get one million awesomes worth of team up action. That kind of sums it up. So uh, the first story, I'll go ahead and roll the credits. It's Captain America and Cable. It's written by Dan Slott, penciled by Ron Garney. The inkers are Danny Minky, Cam Smith, and Mark Morales. Will Quintana is a colorist, and V.C.'s Clayton Cowles or Koles, is the letterer. Hope I said all those names right. Won't really talk about the first story because there's no Wolverine in it for the purposes of this podcast. But it was cool to see Garney draw Captain America and Cable and Bucky. The art's beautiful. The story's okay. Basically, it's back in World War II. And Atticus Trask has come back to help the Nazis build a sentinel. And basically, it's going to be a time bomb. He's going to bury it. And it's going to wake up at the dawn of mutant kind and eliminate mutants from the get-go. So there won't ever be any real mutants. The Allies find out about this and they send Captain America and Bucky to take care of it. And then Cable jumps from the future. He shows up and they take everything out. And there's a nice little irony thrown in our face where uh, they walk Captain America and Bucky are walking off and he- Bucky's like, what? here, I'll just read it. You see that m- robot army had? Imagine what I could do with one of those babies. Get it? Because he's going to be winter soldier. And have a bionic arm. Yeah. Irony. Alright, so then our story with Hulk and Wolverine. Written by Jeff Loeb. Penciled by Dale Keown. inked by Danny Minky. Colorist by Frank the Armada. And lettered by Comic Craft's Albert Dischesney. So we uh, have Hulk and Wolverine in Avengers Tower. Wolverine finds a piece of cake. And Hulk's like, my cake, Wolverine's like, I don't think so, Bub. And then somebody comes in a ball of lightning. And it is future Hulk and Future Logan. Looking very much like I see the Hulk's name is Maestro. He's got metal armbands and a beard. A grey beard. And then Logan looks like his day of days of future past costume. Where he's got the black gloves and the leather jacket with the fur collar. So Hulk and Hulk fight Wolverine and Wolverine. Then they kind of switch off. Old Logan's like, don't you get it? We're you, future you. Here to do a job. Get in, get out. And our Wolverine's like, whatever. You can skip to the get out part now. And they fight some more. Maestro, the old Hulk. Said so there's somebody in this timeline they have to kill because the future depends on it. You know, typical. <laughs> typical time traveler. Uh, our Hulk is like, no one dies tonight. And he slams his hands together with a supersonic clap. They go flying out the building. And the future Hulk and Wolverine go back into a time portal. Our Hulk and Wolverine jump down. And Hulk's like, find them. That's what you do, right? Like, use your snozz. Follow the nose. But they're gone. And then Hulk's like, all right. And he jumps back up into the building to get the cake. And Wolverine's like, oh. And then we get a little flash forward to the White House. There's a big uh, silhouette. Maestro and Logan are standing in the Oval Office. And it turns out the Red Hulk, I guess, is the president. But the old Red Hulk has to die, which I don't really understand why he wants to kill himself to prevent himself from being president. I guess he does something awful. I don't know. Or maybe he causes some natural disaster and he becomes president, but it's of a dead country. I don't. I don't know. Wolverine gets some exposition on that in the present where he says, What do they want? And if they were us in the future, if they killed us in the past, wouldn't they be killing themselves? My head hurts. (laughs) The art on this is really good. Uh, Keon's Wolverine looks kind of strange, but it looks pretty good. The whole story reminds me of a 90s image comic, and that's not necessarily a complaint. It just kind of has that feel to it. Um... Yeah, really not a whole lot to say about it. It was a fun little story, I guess, kind of. The art for both stories was beautiful. Uh, Garney and Keon really, really stepped up their game in both of these little stories. Um, I don't know, maybe we'll come back around to one of these plots. Maybe the Red Hulk thing will show back up in a... Avengers book. You know how Bendis likes to time travel. So he's not doing it though. But Hickman I guess likes time travel too. So I don't know. Maybe the Red Hulk future thing as president will show up. And we'll see this again. But as of now. These both seem like two really well drawn throwaway stories. So that said. I'm going to give the book. And I kind of want to do one claw for the stories, but the art for both is going to bump the whole issue up to two claws, I think. So I'm going to give A plus X two claws for the art, because like I said, they both just, it kind of feels like a fun throwaway book where the first story was more fun than the second. But um, anyway, that is our A plus X update. I don't know if we'll have any more or not. I don't know if we'll bring our show back up in this book again or not. So we'll see. That may have been a one and done for us on this podcast. But, uh, who knows? All right. So that's going to do it for, uh, episode number seven. Uh, hope you enjoyed it. Not to beat dead horses, but, uh, please, uh, like the Facebook page. Send me some emails, throw some comments, um, all that information can be found in the show notes. If you're getting this through iTunes, then just go to the web page. It's uh, snitcast.podbean.com. Um, if you're getting it off of the website, then you can see it all. So, uh, not a whole lot of, like, really big question marks as far as theories. But uh, give me some uh, comments, what you like or don't like about the show uh give you some of your opinion on kind of what you think Wolverine's role will be in Marvel now and whether you like it or not. Some of the upcoming books. As far as upcoming episodes, um as I'm recording this, which I hope to have this out in a couple of days, but as I'm recording this we have one more week for issue five of AVX Consequences. And then as soon as I can after that, I will we'll have a mini episode focusing on that. And then we're still doing a special episode on Wolverine's first appearance. My goal is to make that, whenever it gets done, to be our episode number 10, be our 10th episode. We'll focus on that. That's kind of what I'm thinking right now. And then of course... We'll have episode for November. Actually, kind of looking things over, there's a whole lot in November. So, kind of wait and see how I feel when I start talking about everything. But we might have I might split November into two episodes. Uh, I haven't decided yet. We'll kind of uh, cross that bridge when we get there. But that is definitely a possibility. So, anyway, that's what's coming down the pipe. Thanks for listening, and take care. Bye.